Welcome to the Solution Focus School's Unlimited Podcast Series. My name is Linda Metcalf, and I'm the author of Counseling Towards Solutions, the first book published in 1995 that took the solution-focused approach into the classroom for students kindergarten through 12th grade. As you listen to this podcast, if you like the ideas you hear, you can purchase Counseling Towards Solutions on Amazon.com, now in its third edition. The title of this podcast today is Getting Fit in a Time of Crisis. Now, why did I call it such a title? Well, one of my favorite quotes is by Darwin, who said once, quote, It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. End of quote. Let's talk about change for a second. As school counselors and administrators, teachers and parents, we often advise students, we push them a bit, we promote change because we think that it is a means of helping our students succeed and adapt to what is expected of them. Most students that we approach in that way respond well. They are somewhat motivated. There are some that struggle. They question our expectations and that's okay, but eventually they may follow through. But when students and teachers and parents and administrators deal with a crisis, change is not so easy. Change is not often not our choice. Sometimes we have to adapt when change comes along and we're forced into changing and doing something different. We get uncomfortable with that. We don't like that necessarily. What we forget though when crises happen is that most of us at one time or another have already gone through a crisis. Maybe that crisis isn't as big as the one currently happening in our lives at that time. We just forget though how we did function and adapt in the midst of other crises when things were chaotic and the circumstances were difficult. So how does the solution focused approach assist us in schools, when we're working with a student in a crisis, an entire school building in a crisis, a district in a crisis, or something in the world that's going on that throws us into a crisis and challenging times where we're not quite sure what to do. Well, let's talk about that. the basic ideas of the solution-focused approach is that the clients, and a lot of times we are those clients in the midst of a crisis, are the experts. Whether a crisis is happening in the world as we speak or in a school with various situations or at home where interpersonal situations are escalating, it's always easy to think, I need to go ask somebody something. I need to go find out how I can fix this or handle this. I need to get an expert to help me. I need more information. All of these are typical reactions and good reactions, but they leave out something important. And that is looking within ourselves to figure out how we've dealt with similar situations before. Yesterday, I was fortunate to listen to a group of teacher interns who were gathered together due to a crisis that was happening in our city. As we talked, I learned that for one teacher, her biggest concern and best hope was to get better and back to school because one of her students 
was not going to be able to have enough to eat while she was off due to the crisis. I looked at her and shared my understanding and commended her on being so compassionate and then said, I wonder how she has coped before, before you gave her food. She stopped to think and she smiled and she said, well, come to think of it, she has told me things she's done before. Others chimed in too with answers on how the young person might have coped before. Another time when I was working in the high school as a safe and drug-free school coordinator, I would find myself often in the high school in the afternoons, particularly on Friday afternoons for some reason. And on one afternoon after I'd been there most of the day talking to students and calling parents and getting kids together to work out how they want things to, to progress for themselves, an assistant principal walked up to me and she said, Linda, how do you do this all the time? How do you come here all during the week and you go home on the weekend and I'm thinking, well, you must worry about these students all weekend. And I found myself stop and smile at her for a second and said, actually, I don't do that. It felt absolutely awful saying that. But my reasoning was, and I shared it with her, was that most of these kids that we deal with every day that come to school and they've got things going on are already dealing with those things. And maybe they don't deal in the way that we would. Maybe that we think we should be giving them more as to how to deal with things better. But they've made it so far. They've adapted. They've become fit when it comes to adapting to change. So this podcast, as it progresses, is going to provide the same ideas of the solution-focused approach that we've talked about in other podcasts so far. The idea behind it that each one of us, including our students, teachers, and parents, are the experts on our lives. We can't get to be as old as we are, and our students in high school and middle school and elementary school can't get to be the humans they are without going through something challenging, whether it's a little challenge or a big challenge. The important thing to remember is they've made it through so far. So let's take a look at step number one. Remember step number one from all of the other podcasts? It's about finding a goal. When you're dealing with a crisis situation, it's the same. Finding a goal from those who were in the crisis. Asking them what are their best hopes during the time that they speak with you. What difference would those best hopes make for them at that moment? What else would the best hopes assist them in doing? That will help you begin to listen closely to their true best hopes. In a recent video I viewed of a supervisee, I watched a school counselor talk with a middle school student whose mother constantly moved around. The girl moved with her, which led to her having a rather uneasy life, unstable life. Yet the girl continued to function and she would continue to do her work when she went to a different school and a different school and she would do her work well and she would keep on getting promoted. When she first walked in the office for the school counselor to talk to, she appeared very sad 
and wore a hoodie way over her head and almost over her face. The referral that the girl gave to the school counselor said that the girl often appeared very sad most of the time and did not mingle with the other students very easily. As the girl talked about her best hopes of her mom not moving, the school counselor did a marvelous job in asking her what difference it would make if her mom were to stop moving. Gradually, the young girl responded this. She said, I would be happy. She said, I could show emotions for a change. Right now, I just hold everything in. And then I could focus more on school if I was happy and I showed some emotions. The girl knew what she wanted, but she only saw one way to get it, and that was if mom stopped moving. Through the conversation, though, her thoughts became separated from the need for mom to move, and she began talking about ways she could begin being a fraction happier and show emotions slightly more, which might lead her to focusing on school. The school counselor did a marvelous job of summarizing all of those ideas for her at the end of the session, and it was marvelous to watch at the end how the girl gradually pushed back the hoodie to where her face was at least showing, and she smiled. So, as you look for getting goals from those who are in a crisis, whether it's a group, or whether it's an individual, or whether it's an entire school district gathered together wondering, what do we do next? The goal is what's important. And you might think, okay, the goal is for the crisis to be over. Sure, that would make sense. But in the meanwhile, you might be surprised when you ask, so what are your best hopes during this time that might make a little bit of a difference to you? What could we talk about during this time? And begin to put together that would make a difference for you. You may be very surprised. Actually, I'm almost positive you'll be surprised because the answers will be astounding to you. They will be very different. And from there, those best hopes, like in any other solution-focused conversation, will give you a direction. Remember number two, it was a question about the preferred future. In the teacher intern group I talked about a little while ago, one of the best hopes that a teacher intern had was to have some control, even if it was just 1%, she said. So I asked her, what might it look like if tomorrow you woke up and you had that 1%? She smiled and almost laughed a little bit, and it was suddenly possible that she could maybe think about something else besides the crisis. And she said, well, I might, if I had control, if I had 1%, I might set my alarm and get up to where I'm not sleeping until noon. And I might get distracted by maybe some, some lesson plans on Pinterest, or I might go outside and get into a routine. And then the others started brainstorming too. And pretty soon this very sullen group came alive. It reminds me of what happens whenever you paint a picture. If any of you are artists or maybe you've dabbled a little bit, done a paint by number picture before. But when we paint a picture, usually we get a basic idea of what we want on canvas or on paper. And then we go back and we add color. I like to think of asking what else would be different 
as extra paint that gets painted on a picture. Asking it so many times in so many different ways takes your client, your student, your teacher, parents into a new place where things look different. And that's the whole point of the preferred future, giving them something to grasp onto and look at so that when they leave your office, leave your conversation, they're still thinking about that colorful picture and what a future could look like, or even if that future is for a day. So keep painting that picture with your clients and your students and your teachers and your parents. Keep asking what else would be going on in that day. Because the more you ask, the richer that picture gets and the colors get deeper and more meaningful. Number three in the solution focus process encourages us to go exception hunting. Just for a minute, as you listen to this podcast, sit back and think of times when you've gone through a crisis before and you were able to get through it. Maybe that crisis wasn't as big as some that we're facing, but you got through it somehow. As you sit back and you think about this question I'm asking you, visualize yourself going through the days when that situation was happening. Notice what traits you're showing as you go through that day. Notice what you did on that day or during that time that got you through where you didn't allow the crisis to get you down. Instead, you stood up to the crisis. What else did you do? What else do people see you do? And as a difference, how did that make a difference for other people in your life when you were going through that and you were carrying out those actions? Asking questions like this to groups or individual students or parents or teachers during a time of crisis usually leads to silence because when people are in crisis, they can't imagine anything worse than what's happening to them at that moment. Just recognize that, be patient, and continue with, you know, even if the crisis wasn't as bad as the current one, how did you cope just slightly? What did others see you do? What else did you do during that time? What did your children see if it's a parent? What did your parents do if it's a student or a teacher? What did you believe about yourself to help that to happen? These are all questions that seem to bring out the best in people and their strengths and the abilities that they've got to adapt to situations and be fit, ready to go. But when they're in the midst of a crisis, they can't always summon up those ideas. They're too stuck in being overtaken by the crisis itself. So just wait and try not to go too fast with number three, because it's very important. And actually, you could even do an entire meeting or session with just number three. Taking people out of the situation they're stuck in into moments of reassurance 
that they know how to adapt. They've done it before. Next, we're going to talk about using the scaling question during a time of crisis. The scaling question is particularly helpful during a time of crisis, as it often puts things in perspective for the client, student, group that you're working with. They may think that on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning they are in complete control and 1, the crisis is in control, that they are all at a 1, until you begin to ask questions around it. One way to do that is to start off by externalizing the crisis. That externalizing approach was developed by Michael White, David Epstein, who found that when they separated out the issues that bother people from the actual people, the people had a chance to find ways through their own experiences, their own values and beliefs that have got them through situations before, and they could stand up to the crisis or problem. So as you work through the steps that we've just gone through, and you get to this point, ask them, what shall we call this thing, this entity, this situation that is truly causing some challenges for you all? Once you've got that, give the scaling question, a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning you are in control of it, 1, it is in control of you, where shall we put it? Where shall we mark you on the scale? You could even draw a picture of whatever they're talking about, or they could draw a picture for you and place it on the scale. Wherever they are in the scale, as long as it's not falling off the scale into zero, that means somehow they have managed to cope so far. They are, after all, talking to you. That's already an exception, that they've taken the time to come and process with you what to do next. Should they put, for example, themselves or the group Maybe the, they, they vote to just say, we're at a three. Then you can ask them, how have you gone to a three so far? What have you seen each other do? What have you done yourself when you're not around your friends, your colleagues? What have your colleagues seen you do? What have your family seen you do? Ask lots and lots of questions. Again, we've got to paint that painting very richly. Those become the ways that they have moved up the scale. Then you can ask the next question of, suppose that you begin to move from a four to a four and a half just over the next day, keeping things very short in duration. Why? Because that way it's more achievable. And you ask them, what else would you do? And ask them to think about the exceptions that you came up with in process number three. Those are some of the keys, the ideas that can get them through. And after they're finished talking about the scaling question, ask them to go off as they go through their day and watch for times when that crisis, or whatever they want to call it, is impacting them less. Make a mental note so that when you see them next time and you ask what's going better, they can tell you some ideas in times when it wasn't as tough. And that's pretty much the process that is here for you to try out using a solution-focused approach when times of crises occur. 
Notice, again, these are the same three steps we've been talking about through this podcast series. They're very adaptable for a person, a group, a class, an audience. Whatever you do, and I'm very serious about this, do take notes. Make copies of those notes. Or if you see that you are in a group and they've enjoyed processing this, consider typing them up, sending them to everyone in the group who, who has an email address. Helping our students and clients and teachers and parents to become fit and make it through crises will help them to see that the challenge ahead seems a little bit less big, a little less ominous, a little more possible to get around. And finally, I want to end with a statement that I heard Michael White say one time in a conference. He was talking about people who come in and are so depressed and so sad, and others in the audience were saying, what do you do with those, Michael? Those people, they're so upset about things that they don't know where to turn. And Michael simply said, you know, one thing I say to them is, life is usually pretty good at dropping boulders in our way. We go along and there's one boulder here, one boulder there. And every time we get to the next boulder, we think, how on earth will I ever get around this one? It's just bigger than the others. He said, the key is to turn around and look behind you. At all of the other boulders, you've already gone around. So no matter where you are today, what you're dealing with today, what you're helping other people deal with today, make this day exceptional and realize that you too have all the tools you need to be exceptional in fighting a crisis and becoming fit. Make this week exceptional.